This feels new, different, exciting. New year, new us, baby. Yeah. Are you tired of men monopolizing the word mansplaining? Well, we are here to provide relief from the drone of men explaining to women how to be a proper lady, and instead, we are here to tell you how to be a proper man. Welcome to Mansplaining, an explication of hypermasculinity in pop culture. I'm Kay Grossman. And I'm Brittany Meredith. Welcome to 2019. New us? New year. New mansplaining. Oh my god, that was almost on purpose. Everything is intentional. Um, So for our new listeners, Mansplaining is a podcast where we watch movies and we tell you what the movie tells us about being a woman or what it tells us about being a man. I will occasionally make jokes about things that are slightly funny and I will talk about my wild encounters with Dana DeVito. My mom gives this podcast a three out of five as she mostly disagrees with everything I say about all the movies. And my mom has never listened to the podcast or else she'd never speak to me again. (laughs) So uh, I guess uh, I I kind of want to start off with telling our new listeners uh, what mansplaining is about. So mansplaining is a podcast where we look at popular movies, exciting things going on in the world, and general pop culture and figure out what it tells us about being a woman or a man. So what it means for femininity, what it means for masculinity, and in general things that are relevant to gender stereotypes as they're enforced by popular culture. Uh, So I came up with it uh, first being in grad school, which astute and seasoned listeners will know why we took that long of a hiatus. Uh, We are now graduates, which is exciting. We now are both masters. We are masters of our field, which mostly just means I have a lot of more student loan debt and the same job that I had (laughs) beforehand. Uh, Same, sister, same. So... I I was going through grad school and I was reading all of this uh, White Ivory Tower bullshit and I started to make fun of all of the theory that I was reading about uh, by applying it to really bad movies. And at first I was doing it really ironically and then I realized that as much as I like to make fun of the things that I am spending thousands of dollars on, it actually fits and I started to really dabble into my youth growing up and watching these movies with my stepdad. And I started thinking about the really wild ideas that he had about gender, specifically the wild ideas he had about masculinity. And I started to wonder what was the root of all this. And obviously there was some nurture involved there. Uh, And I started to wonder just because my stepdad has a real odd obsession with movies And it made me wonder how much of this idea of masculinity was influenced by the nonstop movie indulgence that he grew up on. And I think we found some things. We have. So if you haven't listened to any of our back catalog, we found some really interesting things about how movies influence men, how they're allowed to express 
their own feelings and about how the role of violence and the role of aggression in masculinity. So uh, we'll go into a little more of that later, but I think that we found some really interesting things and I'm excited to continue on. So uh, Kay, I've talked a little bit about my history with the podcast and why I decided to do mansplaining and kind of why it's important to me. I want you to kind of talk a little bit about your history. So I agreed to this wild scheme when I was in grad school. I'm doing, I did a business master's program, an MBA. And frankly, I was just tired of not doing deep level English analysis. I was an English major in college and used to looking at movies and what I was reading with critical eyes. So when Brittany approached me about the podcast, I was taken aback and thrilled. That being said, for me, movies were a rare indulgence. I never was a movie buff. And probably a lot of that is influenced by my childhood. Here's where, if you are my mother, you would stop listening. Because let me tell you about how I grew up. I grew up as a Jehovah's Witness. So uh, for those of you who don't know, Jehovah's Witnesses are a religion that is very, very obsessed with not being defiled by the outside world. And that outside world often included movies. So there's so many movies that I didn't ever see. Um, my diet of pop culture was so limited. It was uh, a real starvation diet. Really, they were such a rare indulgence for me that I didn't have time to, to really analyze them. It was just like, oh yeah, we're seeing something that's not Babe Pig in the City for the third time. True story, saw it three times in theaters. And most of the movies that I did watch were seen through a lens of religion, and by religion I mean guilt. Did I need to feel guilty for consuming this this media? Um, was there something I would need to repent of later? Did they say words that I you know shouldn't have heard or see things that I shouldn't have seen. It was really hard for me to really to engage with movies critically until I became an adult and left that religion. And so when I did mansplaining, it's really been my first real effort to explain movies as critical pieces of literature and art. Here's where my mom, if you listen to that part, you're really going to stop want to stop listening. So a complicating factor is, folks, I'm a trans man. I found that I figured that out uh, in the intermission between episodes of this podcast. And that engages with another critical lens that we're going to need to look at for these movies because now I'm looking for new role models. I've had a lot of role models in my life and very few of them have been men. So figuring out what behaviors I need to be exhibiting as a man and choosing out the man I actually want to be, it's a real test. And I think that as we go through these movies, I'm going to look at what are the men exhibiting and do I want to be anything like them? Spoiler alert, probably not. <laughs> uh, but maybe I'll be surprised. The purpose of this kind of intro podcast was to kind of go over uh, where we've been because this has been a wild 14 episode journey over the period of two years, which is like really crazy to think about. We started as wee babies in 2015. Which 2015 was, was more than two years ago, baby doll. Is that ma how math works? Hey guys, funny story. I failed math every year in college. I actually never passed a math class. I only passed like undergraduate because my advisor made a mistake and I told her over and over again and then I made her sign a legal document saying that I didn't have to retake a math class that I failed. So I'm really bad at math and that is how math works. That's three years, five, six, seven, three years ago. Three we started mansplaining. Ago, we were such babies. We didn't know what we, we were doing. 
We And we still don't. So we have that in common. If you're wanting to find some common threads between this and that, it is one, we have no idea what we're doing. And the second thing, I kind of want to talk about the male gaze. So we watched a couple of movies where this was present and we talked about it. And if you're interested in any of the things that we're talking about, you can go back into those old catalogs and hear our full podcast hot about takes. these things, our full hot takes about some of the esteemed movies from the 1980s and 1990s, which is what we dabbled in for the first 14 episodes. Uh, so we talked about the male gaze after watching Bloodsport and Top Gun. And in literary criticism and in film criticism, we talked about this when I took a studio uh, film class once. We talked about the ma- the female gaze. And typically, if a female is shown, they do this like soft uh, focus and and it's so mystical and wonderful because we're supposed it's, to idealize this female form. It's basically assuming that the camera is a man and looking at women how men want to view women. So echoing stereotypes, echoing the feminine form as both the most esteemed but also the most devalued object. Absolutely. And I think you can see female gaze the most if you think about like those old 19, I say old, and it probably makes older people who listen to this podcast really feel rude about themselves. Older music videos from the 1980s in which they do this female gaze on, I'm, I'm thinking of like, I don't, if you're familiar with like YNT videos. Absolutely not. Pop um, culture, remember? Yeah. So they ha- they have this prominent female gaze uh, within those music videos. And you see it even today, obviously. Uh, but what I found really, really interesting is actually there, there is a male gaze that we see a lot in these action films. And so the male gaze is still the objectification of body. It's just the objectification of the male body. And it's really questionable because you'd think that the way women are depicted is to be very sexual objects for the men who are watching it. But men are depicted the same way. You get uh, in some movies like Bloodsport and Top Gun, we saw real hefty, long camera shots on men's chests and men's bodies. And the way men are depicted, huge muscles, puts them as sexual objects too. But they're not sexual objects for women because women aren't seeing these movies. Yeah, so there's this argument, and every time I bring it up, you know, I talk to my dad a lot about these movies, just because it's it's really wild watching these movies at 13 and then going back and watching them at 28, especially when, you know, I, I come from a very small town in the Boot Hill, Missouri, and there are very traditional views that you have of gender, and when you kind of go to college and, and you read a lot more, those ideas shift, and when you kind of are approaching it with this new set of eyes and this new body of knowledge, and it makes the experience a lot different for me, so... I asked my dad about this, you know, I'm like talking about like blood sport where you I'm specifically remembering the scene where he's doing the splits on like two wooden chairs. And it's like, oh, it's like five minutes, maybe more of him just like looking real buff. And like they literally put like vegetable oil on him. Glistening chest. It's like glistening. And I'm like, what do you think about these scenes? And he, and you know, his response is always like, oh, you know, he's, he's so tough. He's so tough, you know? And I'm like, yeah, but why is this scene in this movie if he ain't supposed to be gay? Because, you know, like that's a huge part of like uh, this like hyper masculinity, right? Is like, you have to finish every sentence with like no homo. And his response is like, oh, that's for the ladies. And I'm like, hmm. There are no girls watching this film. And I literally looked into it. I want to say, is this really for the ladies? And we looked into the statistics and like 
y'all, women aren't watching these films. They're not going to the movies to see these films. Like this idea that these, you know, five minute sequence of buff dudes with vegetable oil, like all over their six pack or whatever are for the ladies. It's it's not true, right? Because that would presume that ladies are coming and they're not. <laughs> yeah, it's really for the men who are watching it. It's presenting them with an idealized, objectified image of a male body and letting them know that they can admire this body safely without it being homoeroticized. Yeah, and I wanted to add to that and say that I think a lot of time these movies, and I think we even uh, see it with the first movie that we're going to talk about, which is Highlander, is it does provide a safe space to explore their sexuality and explore, like, do I find men attractive without it being weird for these people that are, like, involved in this hyper-masculine culture? And there is a difference assumed by these movies between finding men attractive and finding men worthy of idealization so these men may be put on a pedestal they are the perfect man the man that everyone should strive to be which again gets into what are they teaching us so it kind of all all feeds into each other a second common thread is the absence of women and we're talking the real absence of women so there's this theory that I think it's pretty popular in pop culture that most people know at this point. It's called the Bechtel test. The Bechtel test says that there needs to be at least two women in a movie. They need to talk to each other and they need to have a conversation not about the male protagonist. Which is a low bar. Real low we bar. We should do more. And most of these movies don't pass the Bechtel test. Not only do they not pass the Bechtel test, like these girls that are in this movie exist for one of two reasons, to get fucked or to die. <laughs> yeah, that's essentially it. There's a few deviations um, that we see where the women have better characterization, but... Like, the, I, I'm thinking a little bit of, like, the, the wife and Lethal Weapon. So there's a few deviations to this, um, like the wife in, in Lethal Weapon. So I don't want to make a blanket statement that women just exist as sex objects or as motivators, i.e. motivating by getting killed. But it's pretty common even if the women in the movie do start with this like motivation of not just being a sex object or romantic partner or not existing to die so that way they can seek revenge on each other their plot lines like very quickly evaporate and i think about things like a uh, top gun and you know you start with this like really headstrong like passionate woman who then very, very quickly, as soon as a man comes in her presence, forgets her entire role as a woman to, like, benefit the man. And that's a common thread that I'm seeing through they lose every their movie. They women tend to lose their autonomy for the sake of a man, um, lose their career ambitions, or lose their independence. Um, they need to be tamed. So, And I think... The reason why this is important, we're not just like making these like very obvious and anyone who's watching these movies, these aren't profound observations, right? But I think why it's important to talk about them and why it's important to like draw attention to them is right now we're in an era of Me Too. Um, we're really, we're really confused as to why baby boomers and why Gen Xers view women the way they do and why they feel like they have rights over our body and that we don't have body autonomy. And when we think about, you know, where do these ideas about women come from? Where are they reinforced? I don't think that all of these people that are committing these sexual assault on women are just binging uh, 1980s movies and therefore that's all they see in women. 
But I do think that these roles and these views of women and men are being reinforced in the media. And I'm really hoping to kind of dive back into that to kind of help understand like why these issues are occurring and why now in 2018, we're starting to realize like this is a huge problem. Yeah, especially some of the more subtle examples in the Me Too movement, like the harassment and pressure on women to do things for the advancement of their careers. Things that I've had to explain to men in my life that are harassment. Men who are presumably decent, okay guys need an explanation that this is harassment. So I think that these movies do prove to be instructional and not in a great way. And Yeah, I, I really do think it does reinforce these ideas of what women have to do and men have to do. Yeah, and, and even more so, like, the absence, you know, when we're talking about, like, why is diversity important? Why is it important that we see different kinds of people from different backgrounds who look different in movies? And it's because, like, movies allow, not just movies, media in general, allow us the ability to understand a person's life that is not our own. And when we are subtracting an entire demographic from our media, we are subtracting the ability to empathize and to try and understand someone different than our own. And so when I think about these movies and how they're literally just taking women out of the story, they're taking them out of the narrative completely, they're taking away the opportunity for these men, for the baby boomers who are coming, for the Gen Xers that are coming to understand what a woman's role in society is and can be and can be and even like some of the hardships and frustrations that exist in a world in which women are oppressed which i think is one of the reasons why like subtracting women entirely from these narratives is really problematic yeah instead of viewing women as fully fledged autonomous individuals women in these movies are viewed as accessories so i think that as we explore that and explore why women are accessorized in such a way you know you're talking about how the men are the women are accessories to the men in these movies by contrast that makes the men the star and when you think about like the narratives that are going along with the me too era where it is not about the woman being harassed or the woman being the the men are then victimized because their story and their narrative is being impeded upon because of someone else's experience and it's no longer about the women it's about them because to them they're the star this is only reinforced through the the movies too, right? Is they're the the men are the star, and anything the women does around them only should only benefit their progression and their experience in their life. Women exist to serve a, a larger purpose in the protagonist's role, and the protagonist is almost always a man. So exactly, I think that that's something we're going to definitely explore more as we continue on in this new season of mansplaining. For sure. Um, and then I think another, the the last kind of common thread that we saw in the movies that we have covered already, and I think this is comes from a lot because we did watch like movies like Rambo that have this Vietnam, post-Vietnam like anxieties, anxieties and yeah, anxiety, yeah, is emotions and how like emotions are shown through the different genders and how they are accepted or not accepted. We really see a a real disservice to men with regards to how they are allowed to show emotion. Um, Men who rightfully in these movies should have things like depression and anxiety and PTSD aren't really given leeway to express or symptomize these emotions. And instead, the emotions that are allowed to be expressed, things like grief and revenge, tend to come out in aggression. 
So these very real mental health problems and very real just human emotions, grief and anger and revenge, all have to come out as aggression, not as healthy coping mechanisms. So I think that that does a huge disservice to the men involved in teaching men their acceptable emotions. I think a lot about, as I go back to thinking again and again about the man I want to become as I am, you know, a baby gay man. I think about the men that show emotion, who are soft, men like Mr. Rogers. When I was presenting as a woman, I've always been allowed to show emotion, at least certain emotions. Um, so now that I'm, I'm trying to live my life as the man that I, I am, it's really difficult not seeing those men in popular culture who are allowed to show emotions and be soft and be angry and be sad and have depression and all of these normal human feelings. What I want to see and what I want to explore is more men like Mr. Rogers and fewer men like Rambo. One thing that I want to talk about like really, really briefly is just the politics of film. Um, especially as we start exploring films in the new millennia and seeing how the politics really change and how you can kind of see the change in ideology as we move past like movies from the 80s and 90s and more movies from like the, you know, early to mid uh, 2000s. Just because I think it's really interesting that like we want to talk about progress, right? We want to talk about like, are things getting better for men and women? And I think one thing that really changed my mind about this, and this is going to be so stupid. Have you watched the new John Cena movie, <laughs> Blockers? I haven't. Well, so I was watching the preview, and if you have not watched Blockers, it is a comedy about a, a collection of parents who are going to protect their uh, children from having sex for the first time on prom night. And I was watching this, and I go, this film's going to be fucking awful, right? And I was terrified. I was terrified. And Ryan, you know, he was like, let's watch this movie, and I was like, Fucking because yikes. your boy John Cena. Because my boy John Cena, you can't see him, but sometimes you can now on the blockbuster, and I want to watch him, right? And I was watching the movie, and the, the previews really made it seem like the exact kind of movie that you would expect it to be, which is, you know, isn't it funny that we're super overprotected and we think we own our daughter's bodies? Isn't this really funny? And I was really prepping, right? Like, you know, when you go into a movie ready to be angry? That's what I was doing. And then it gets to the end, and suddenly the entire premise of the film is that maybe women, regardless of their age, should have ownership of their own bodies. Shock. And maybe we should just trust women with their own bodies to make the good decisions. And that was literally the moral of the film. And I was shocked. Yeah, a movie, the movies that we've watched so far, the action movies, I can't imagine that. That message would never yeah. be there. And it, and it gave me hope as a woman that maybe eventually things will be okay. Because, uh, you know, whether it is that art drives media or art is, uh, I mean, sorry, uh, politics and, and culture drives media or it is a reflection of, of where we are ideologically. 
it's it's nice to see that progression. And that's one thing that I hope to explore, right, is we're going to get into some yikesy stuff. We are going to be talking about some American pie, which I'm already really pumped about. I'm very not pumped. <laughs> it's so uncomfortable. And I remember growing up, like, that was what I thought, like, the point is, I'm excited to start this up again, Kay. I am too. And I'm really excited to get into some, like, gross, nitty-gritty work of watching these terrible films. I- I'm excited to go into that that rough work of these movies that made men okay and comfortable with doing the things that they do. Yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> We're gonna, it's gonna be a wild ride if history's taught us anything, but, um... Stay tuned for further episodes of Mansplaining. I'd like to thank Kenny Kenny Oo for the use of our theme song at 60 Seconds to the Bestial Test. And also, we would like to direct you to our social media page where we have lots of conversations about gender and media and culture and politics and occasionally just puppies. And you can find that at Mansplaining Pod on Twitter or at Facebook.com slash Mansplaining. Go back and listen to some old episodes where you can hear the babies talk about these movies. Really prep yourself for the exploration of Highlander and, and see where we've been and where we're going to go. It's really a journey for all of us. So if you could just go back and listen to these things that we've recorded and spent time on and to get ready for the new stuff. I don't know. Feel free or not. You're masters of your own life.